Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish egotistical or narcissistic in fact it is essential in order for humankind to thrive sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally but also contributes to collective global flourishing the achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us it is constructively good for those around us in short happiness matters happiness comes from the heart and this show is most definitely all about the heart Today, we're talking about leading by example, the journey to self-esteem and self-love. All righty then, let's get to it. Sanaa Giovanni is an honors college student double majoring in sociology and communications at the University of Texas at San Antonio. She is the founder of the Love Your Natural Self Foundation, a nonprofit striving to empower others. Sana started this organization after losing all of her hair to alopecia in the seventh grade and struggling with wigs, bullying, and low self-worth. Now, her nonprofit organization hosts projects in 45 schools and 28 countries worldwide. To date, over 10,000 students have been reached through speaking engagements. Sanaa is one of 30 We Are Family Foundation's global teen leaders, a TEDx speaker, a State Farm Youth Advisory Board member, a Do Something, and College Board Youth Advisory Council member, a 2016-17 Character Counts Person of Character. She is the social media intern at Gobi and at an and an editorial intern at Hello Flow. She has decided to change the world through hard work and positive energy. And Sanaa, I just want to say welcome, and I want to just give the brief background to how we came together. Hi. Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. Sanal wrote me an email and she made it just beautiful. It was short, sweet, eloquent. And I just thought she was like, I would like to be on your show. And her story was so compelling. I was like, okay. And, and, and here we are. It was one of those synchronicities in timing. Because really the story that you tell, even though it's alopecia, which is a rare and unknown to many, it, it is something that we can all relate to, you know, the idea of feeling the odd person out and, yeah. and how to deal with those emotions. And this is really your strength, your yeah. gift. 
Yes. No, I and I realized that, you know, the moment I started telling my story, it was something so much bigger than just my story. It was something that everyone goes through in a sense. Indeed, indeed. And especially at the age that you were going through this, not only as a seventh grader, were you coming into um, your teenage years, your womanhood, there's a lot of peer pressure. And I know from raising a daughter that girls can be particularly catty at that period of their lives. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like, when I did lose all my hair to alopecia and you know, immediately I was like, I can't, I can't go to school all natural yet. Like I need to buy a wig and I need to cover this up and I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. Um, immediately, like I looked a little bit different. Like I didn't have my real hair anymore. I had this wig, which was longer and, you know, people could tell it was fake. And that just caused like a particular amount of cattiness and meanness. And I think a lot of it was just people judging what they can't understand. But just being in seventh grade, that prime time where everybody's kind of at each other's throats already. It was just really rough to go through that. And I, I think what catalyzes that that cattiness is that uncertainty and self-doubt that is age appropriate and part of our development as human beings. So it's it's what's supposed to be going on, but then you have this this challenge that really compromises and could undermine healthy self-development. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's totally, you know, normal what they were doing even though it wasn't you know bullying is never right but I do think that it did come from moments of low self-esteem and hard times and it came from a place of insecurity so I mean now that we've all grown up um I've spoken to the people who have been mean to me in the past you know after we've all moved forward and it's just like a world different um speaking to them then and speaking to them now same with speaking to me then and speaking to me now um and I think like it was just that kind of time where emotions are going crazy. You're figuring out who you are. You're taking your first steps towards self-esteem and happiness. And it's confusing. So I get it. And, and with the bullying, uh, what was done to you? What kind of comments were made? How, how was your um, self-esteem undermined by the words? It honestly got pretty bad. Um, for me, I was also a very shy, non-assertive person. So I remember... You know, when I first came to school with this wig, it turned a lot of heads. Like, this girl who never talks is wearing a wig. You know, maybe she's doing it for attention. So it all started with a couple rumors here and there that, you know, she wants this guy to date her or she's doing it for attention or um, no one ever noticed her before. Um, And so I kind of brushed those off. But then it just started escalating more and more. I started finding notes in my locker that were really mean. I found, um, you know, I was getting online one day and I got a friend request from a Facebook page that was a burn page made about me and people were just posting rude comments. And so it just became really broad um, and an everyday thing. And so that's when I kind of did realize that, okay, I may be shy, but like, I think finally it's time for me to speak up and stand up for myself because I deserve it. And how did that affect your mental, mental health and struggles with self-harm is my understanding? Yeah, no. And it, it did affect my uh, mental health a lot because, you know, I was already standing in the mirror every single morning and bullying myself. You know, I would wake up and say, you know, people would say mean things to me, but the things I would say to myself were 10 times more awful. So I would already wake up this morning, like every morning and just like look in the mirror and say like, you know, you can't do this. You're not going to get through the day. And then I would go to school and I would hear the same thing. So I think it was just that constant, 
constant negative energy, the constant um, feeling of being put down. And I think that's what really led me to this depression and this self-harm. You know, I just felt like I wanted a way out of, you know, the negativity. And at the time, self-harm did feel like my way out. It felt like, you know, this is what I'm going to do to feel better for these um, 10 minutes. And, you know, it's the one thing I have control over. I can't control you know, at the time I thought I can't control how I feel about myself and I can't control how I look and I can't control what people are saying at me, um, about me, but maybe I can control this one portion of my life. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how I was led down that path. And it was, it was dark and it was scary. And I'm, um, you know, every day I'm thankful that I'm here. And when we're talking about self-harm for our listeners who may not know what that is, can you explain? Yeah, so basically self-harm, I think, can be different um, in different cases. For me, um, it was just cutting myself, and so that's something I struggled with a lot. But basically, it's when um, a person harms themselves in any way, um, and, you know, there's different reasons to do it. I mostly did it because I felt like it was something I had control over, and I had um, lots of self-image issues, um, and so I felt like I deserved the harm somehow, Um and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty rough time, and I think that it took a lot of growing and a couple of years, actually, to work my way back up and um, be strong in recovery. And fortunately, you did, because you have transformed and transcended what could be considered a, a very traumatic period of your life into something of meaning, and, and that meaning is what you're giving back, and I find that um, very inspiring. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I definitely just want to emphasize that it was just a process. You know, a lot of the time when you think about self-esteem, like, and you think about the journey to self-esteem and you see people's transformations, you see this really sad person. And then the next thing you get to see is a really happy person doing great. Um, And what you miss a lot is the whole middle chunk of the process. And so that's something I really like to emphasize a lot. Like it was definitely a process. It definitely took some time, but I'm so, so thankful to be where I am today. And when you started your nonprofit, what what catalyzed you? Of course, your, your, your passion for um, helping others and making an impact, but you are a, a, a young woman. You have a lot of responsibility with your studies, and taking this on was an, uh, definitely an extra challenge. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what really inspired me is you know, after I found self-love, I felt like my life had changed completely. I could go outside, and it sounds corny, but I could smell the flowers, I could hear the birds, I could, you know, I could go to the grocery store without feeling embarrassed. Before, I would walk into a room, and I would just feel insecure for standing in that room. Um, And so that was really rough for me. And, you know, now um, I had this self-love, and I was happy, and I was filled with joy, And I looked around at my friends and I saw that they didn't have that joy. They didn't have that self-love in their life. Um, A lot of them had their own version of a wig, whether it be makeup or um, something, you know, they hid their acne with or they felt like they weren't good enough in school. It could be um, internal insecurities, too. So everybody had some form of insecurity and everybody, it seemed like, was hiding that because they were ashamed. And I just thought, like, you know, let's all work together and not be ashamed and eliminate this insecurity. I love that. And, and you did it as, as a, a, a young woman, a very, very young. How old were you when you started your nonprofit, the Love Your Natural Self Foundation? 
So the concept of it developed when I was a freshman in high school, so about 15, and then the nonprofit side of it developed when I was 16 or 17. Wow. Wow. Very, very impressive. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to continue the conversation with Sana Giovanni, who is the founder of the Love Your Natural Self Foundation, and she is also involved with International Natural Day. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Here come the tunes, but before we go, to learn more, please visit www.internationalnaturalday.com. On Facebook, the page is Sanaa Giovanni, and on Twitter, the handle is at Sanaa Giovanni. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because caring is sharing. And we're talking about leading by example, the journey to self-esteem and self-love with my guest, Sanaa Giovanni, who is the founder of the Love Your Natural Self Foundation. Sanaa, before the break, I mentioned that you are involved with International Natural Day. Tell us what this is and how we might get involved. International Natural Day is a day that I came up with when I saw that People all around the world were struggling with different types of insecurity. And I thought, what if there was a day where we could all let go of this insecurity together? You know, each of us could be ourselves without fear, without judgment. And I thought, like, if the whole world does this on one day together, hand in hand, it would just be absolutely beautiful. And so that's kind of where the concept developed. And so I started thinking of the perfect day. I said, what day works well for everyone to be themselves? (laughs) 
not be insecure, to be fearless, to support each other, to lift each other up. Um, And I don't know, Valentine's Day kept hitting my head. And, you know, I just kept thinking of Valentine's Day. And I was like, you know, it's it's a great day. We show so much love to other people and the people we love in our lives. Um, But where is there a day to love ourselves? And so that's kind of why I thought of February 13th. I thought the day before Valentine's Day, because you truly have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. Um, So February 13th officially became International Natural Day. And it's a day where I challenge people to let go of the one insecurity holding them back, whether it be something physical like hair or makeup or something internal, like you've been abused or bullied and you kind of want to let that go. And um, today, put yourself out there. And so anybody can participate by using hashtag natural day, hosting a natural day on their campus or at their business and um, just going forward with the idea of self-love. It's really all about interpreting it however it applies to your life and moving forward and promoting self-love. This is this is fabulous. And this is not just for young people, although your focus is in schools and educating um, younger students. This we can all take a lesson from this, you know, to love ourselves, to let ourselves be seen for for who we are and to own it, you know, sort of really own the ground that we're standing on. Yeah. And I had, you know, I I really used to market this to young people more so than I do now um, because I just didn't know it was relevant to everyone. Um, But then I started having offices do it, businesses do it. And, you know, some of the comments I got from the employees, they were saying, like, you know, going without makeup to work is something I haven't done in eight years. And, you know, today on Natural Day, I got to do it. And that was really cool for me um, to know that it could be so relevant to everyone. And so, you know, now I really, really want it to be a day where everybody can celebrate. And my dream for it is to truly see it on every calendar around the globe. Well, I I hope you fulfill this dream because I think it is one that is very worthy. Talk about some of the countries around the world that have celebrated International Natural Day and are a part of the Love Your Natural Self Foundation. Yeah, so we currently have 28 countries on board. Um, We have different schools from each of those countries, so a total of 45 schools. And um, it's been really cool to see their different interpretations of Natural Day and the Love Your Natural Self Foundation. You know, in India, I worked with a group of sex trafficking um, survivors. And, you know, to them, insecurity was something so different than it was to um, a young girl over here. And so it was just cool to see how their journey and insecurity means something different. But at the end of the day, their heart and their sentiment and it all is the same. You know, they're they're trying to achieve the same goal of self-love, the same goal of happiness. Um, so I think working with all these countries more than anything has taught me that we're all so alike, but so different. And that's a really beautiful thing. Um, you can always find a common thread. Um, and so I have curriculum that I send off on natural day and the root and the heart of it is always common, but, um, depending on the country, you know, I'll edit it, I'll change it. Um, you know, and, um, I'm from Pakistan, you know, that's another cultural thing. Um, a big, part of insecurity there is being dark skinned. So that's something I focus on a lot. Um, So it just depends. I've had to learn a lot about different countries, different cultures. Um, And I think I'm really still growing in that department, just learning how to um, really work with places and embrace their diversity. um, But at the same time, realize everything we have in common. 
Um, and in, in in addition to the United States and India and Pakistan, I think you're saying that you are, have a schools there. What are some of the other countries? Where are some of the other places you reach? Yeah, so we have schools in the Netherlands, the UK, France. Um, we have schools in a couple of schools in Zimbabwe. We have a school in South Africa as well. So just all around the globe. Um, and, you know, at first I was pretty overwhelmed because I, I made a video about Natural Day and I um, shared it with my followers and um, I started tweeting and really treating this like a real movement and a real nonprofit. And then, um, you know, emails started coming from all over the place. It was like, you know, I'm in South Africa and I want to start a natural day at my school and I'm in the Netherlands and I want to start a natural day at my school. And so um, I kind of just pass on the curriculum and let the students really take charge. Um, and it's been really fun and really interesting to see that grow. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot about other countries and other places. So you are a college student. You are the founder and manager of a nonprofit. You are a business owner. How does all of this dovetail into maintaining your happiness, supporting your mental well-being? I think that it's all about taking it one day at a time. You know, some days are harder than others, and it's all about doing the best I can. There was a level of happiness brought when I realized that who I am and what I'm doing is enough. You know, I used to put all this pressure on myself when I first started my nonprofit. You know, I thought, I'm suddenly a role model. I have to be better. I have to be strong and be happy all the time. But then I realized that being a role model is the exact opposite. It's about having bad days and making mistakes and having low moments. And the minute I realized that, I realized that whatever I can bring into the world today is enough. And that's kind of how I maintained this all. I just ask myself, what can I do you know, for the world and for myself today. And if that's just doing my schoolwork and getting by, that's fine. If that's just doing something for my nonprofit and, you know, calling it a day, that's fine. And if that's taking a day off for self-care and sitting on the couch and watching TV, that's fine too. It's all about just realizing that um, you have to take care of yourself before you take care of your school and your nonprofit and your businesses. And you just have to put the best that you can in every day. And that's enough. Well, and this realization of the enoughness, I must say, is something that people struggle with for decades. You know, you have people who are 50, 60, 70 years old that have never um, achieved acceptance of self, and it's provided a lifetime of emotional grief. So the uh, concept of you nailing this, you know, as a college student and being able to share this with the world, not just to your peers and the youth that you seek to touch, I believe is an inspiration for us all. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it definitely took some time, but I think that once I did learn it, I was able to offer so much more to the world. You know, you think that if you do it all, that's how you offer it all to the world. But I think like if you take a step back and take care of yourself and really take it one day at a time, that's how you can offer what you want to the world. And it's an agreement with oneself to show up for life fully, you know, that it, authentically, in truth, and, and, and with passion. It's, you know, it's not disavowing uh, the parts of oneself that are not pretty. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that 
you know, taking these challenges and these rough parts of yourself and these difficult moments and, you know, filtering that into your passion. And, you know, instead of avoiding that or saying that's bad, embracing it, it really makes your work so much more richer and it gives it depth. And that's what I've learned about my nonprofit is that if I embrace my own insecurity and my own struggles, then I will learn um, so much and my nonprofit will be so much richer. Indeed. What about future plans? What's next for you? I think that I just want to continue to promote International Natural Day the best I can. Um, You know, I I really am passionate about this cause so much. In terms of um, schooling and my professional life, I just hope to work for a nonprofit someday and uh, make a difference. Um, I'm currently interning in Washington, D.C., so um, just whatever I can do to work in the nonprofit world and make change, um, I'm going to be there. Well, Sanaa Javani, you are a rising star, an inspiration, a righteous babe, I have to say, and I want to give the website <laughs> and your contact information. Thank you for being with us. Your website is internationalnaturalday.com. On Facebook, that page is Sanaa Javani, and I'll spell that out. It's S-A-N-A-H-J-I-V, like Victor, A-N-I. And on Twitter, the handle is at Sanaa Javani. Thanks for joining us, Sanaa, and the best of of luck to you um, with the foundation, the Love Your Natural Self Foundation, as well as International Natural Day, and good luck at school. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, 
but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we're talking about what it means to raise conscious kids, you know, raising global citizens, that it's not enough that we raise children that do well in school, that do well in life, but there's another element that I believe and and my guests certainly believe are equally as important, and that is really knowing our place in the world as part of a global citizenry, that it's not just what we can do at home, but it's seeing the world in a broader perspective, raising children to see the world in that perspective, and being part of a community that reaches across the divide and around the world, no matter where we are sitting. My first guest is Madge Thomas, who is the Global Policy and an Advocacy, or GPA, Manager for Global Citizen. Madge graduated from the University of Notre Dame in Perth with degrees in law and art. And she's doing incredible work. She's not only an attorney specializing in human rights and international affairs, but has been a representative at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York on behalf of the NGO sector. Madge has advised UN agencies, governments, and NGOs on UN instruments, including the UN Declaration of Rights on Indigenous People, Universal Declaration on Human Rights, UN Declaration on the Rights of the Child, and the Convention Against Torture. Madge has also organized and chaired human rights workshops, panels, community education sessions, and interest groups on human rights and UN processes. Madge, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Well, this is uh, what you guys are doing over there at globalcitizen.org is very impressive. Tell us a little bit about the great works that you're doing. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we get very excited about it, so it's good to hear that others think it's exciting as well. Um, well, I think it goes right to your point about about raising raising a global citizenry. We are creating an international movement, basically, of millions of people, generally young people, but people from all over the world, that are taking action to solve the world's biggest challenges. And at the end of the day, fighting with us um, in our mission to help end extreme poverty and make sure that global citizens around the world act as one and live as one. Um, so we have an online platform that has about 7 million global citizens um, connected to it. We then ask those global citizens not to give money, not to um, contribute their, you know, their finances, but to give their voice, to give their, their actions um, to us and help us convince world leaders, help us convince the people that take decisions on issues that relate to ending poverty around the world to make the right choices, to do what will actually move the needle on ending extreme poverty across issues like food and hunger, girls and women, education, uh, child health and vaccines, polio. We've, um, we've been responsible in the movement to end polio and we're about you know 99% of the way there towards eradicating only the second human disease in history. Um, on that and basically this is it's a really exciting movement to be part of because the way we 
we think about things and, and deal with these issues is very fresh. We use our voice, we use our um, Global Citizen Festival in Central Park every year where we have a bunch of celebrities that you may have heard of like Beyonce and Ed Sheeran and, um, and Pearl Jam to really amplify the messages that we're trying to get people to take action on. And we find that, that that's a really great way to inspire our audience and get them to be involved in this global movement. Well, I think what's important is when you look at the global economy and you, and you look at the shape of uh, the global finance structure today, this is one area with the younger generation where voices can become a currency. You know, it is a new form Absolutely. of currency, the, the, the social currency and how one can influence change in the world when one person may not have deep pockets, but seven million strong can move mountains. Absolutely. And we've we found it working in exactly that way, where if we get, you know, a million even of our global citizens to tweet at a world leader, we've been able to almost take over their Twitter account to the extent where they cannot do anything but make a decision on the issue that we're bringing effectively to their doorstep, even from places around the world. So for the old folks who may be listening, what you said is extremely powerful. When you have one, one million people tweeting at a world leader about some issue, that leader cannot help but take notice and must react, must act. Exactly, exactly. And, it's, and it makes the individual so much more powerful, like you've said, but it's also a way of using the, the, the technology that we have literally at our fingertips and using a, a costless um, medium, I guess, to really inspire social change. And that, we find, inspires our global citizens in a way that nothing else does. We report back our impact to them very often. So literally from one person sending a tweet, when they, they will be able to see what effect that's had on the world leader. They will be able to see that world leader sometimes come to our festival on our stage. Our festival is completely cost-free. So the only way to get tickets is to take enough actions to get yourself there. It's one of the only festivals in the world that you, don't, you can't pay to get into. And they will see that leader there making a commitment about the very thing they've tweeted the leader about. And we find that that resonates so well in terms of people feeling that they're able to have an impact on global decisions and, and global affairs. So going back to what I was saying before about, you know, for those of us who are not familiar with how the, the Twitter or tweeting process works, imagine that you are a world leader. And I, and, and I just want to cl clarify this, Madge, because it's really important and it's quite astounding. And you start receiving all of these tweets. You've got a million tweets coming at you. You can't help but take notice. And, the, and that very currency, which your membership is involved in, is what gets them to be able to participate in your festivals, which are at no charge to the attendee. I mean, this is, this is pretty interesting. So you're inspiring the youth to get active and to be rewarded for their, positively rewarded for their activism so they can see the results directly of what they have done. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And also, so the world leaders themselves, um, and this is, again, the, the power of things like Twitter, where it's, it's literally a 140-character message to the world leader, where they actually get to look out into an audience 
of 60,000 people at the festival and see the people directly that have been asking them to take action as well. So it's a, it's a, really, it's a really powerful mutual moment for, for both the leader and the global citizens that are there. Well, it's like I think a a tagline you may use is global citizens is a place for action and experience. So people who are involved and engaged in this way are going to have a very different kind of experience than uh, perhaps more conventional political activism that was existent heretofore. You know, it's a very different kind of world. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm taken by it. I mean, I'm an old person in comparison to, to your demographic. And I'm, I am enchanted to see <laughs> the impact that an individual can have through the platform. You know, you, 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 you take on subject matters that are inspiring to you, and then you get busy just raising awareness. I think it's brilliant. I, I completely agree. And I'm going to borrow that tagline if we can. I think it's fantastic. Action and experience is what we're all about. Beautiful. Talk about some of the initiatives that you are involved in personally. Sure. So so at Global Citizen, I actually lead our education campaigning, which I think um, resonates, I mean, in a, in a whole other way for our audience, many of whom are still in the process of going through an education and, and a lot of whom have had access to an education. We find that this is an issue that they're really passionate about because when they see that there's 124 million children around the world, children and young adults who don't have access to an education, um, that's something that really affects them. That's something that they can see the detriment of when you look at the world's economy. And I know we were talking about currency before, but again, this is human capital. This is, this is an 124 million people around the world that are at the moment not able to contribute to their own economies, not able to contribute to their communities that are falling prey to external forces like non-state actors like ISIS that are being forced into child marriages that are in the depths of extreme poverty and so cannot access the basic education that all of us have enjoyed. And that's a human right. Um, and, you know, we have been campaigning around education, global education for a long time. Um, to make sure that we can get these kids and young adults back into school. Um, we're, we're moving the needle on it very slowly, but there's a funding gap of around $39 billion a year. And one of the biggest issues that's facing us at the moment is the greatest humanitarian crisis of our era, um, which is happening because of conflicts and natural disasters that are forcing children and families out of their homes and forcing them to be displaced, sometimes for up to 17 years. And what that means is that a generation, several generations of children are are missing out on an education completely. And what the really scary part of that is, is that education is such a life-building, life-saving and life-rebuilding force that without that, uh, we're really risking lost generations and lost hope. Um, for millions and millions and hundreds of millions of the world's population, not just now, but into the future as well. 
So we, we are going to match. We're, we're going to need to take a break. We're, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Sure. We are going to need to go to break. And when we come back, I want to continue our conversation because you're making some extremely salient points that need to be elaborated on about what we can do ourselves, and what we can do to inspire our children to become global citizens. To learn more, please visit www.globalcitizen.org. On Facebook, the page is GLBLCTZN. It's Global Citizen, but spelled in a, in a fun way. And on Twitter, that handle is also G-L-B-L-C-T-Z-N, Global Citizen, at Global Citizen. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about raising global citizens, what it takes to raise the next generation to be concerned, to be aware, and to be active, to see the world as home that see the world as a place where we all live, we all need to coexist, get along, and take care of one another. And my guest is from globalcitizen.org. And Madge, we were talking about um, what it takes to take care of one another and what the big crises of, of poverty is at hand right now. And I just want to add that Madge Thomas works with Global Citizen and she's involved with educating um, and, and helping get these initiatives launched. On, during the break, Madge, you and I were talking about um, when we don't have our basic needs, when we don't have food, water, shelter, even medical care and education, it's pretty hard to be happy. Yes, Lisa, I think it's so integral that, that we realize that what it takes for a person to be happy is so much more than uh, or is a combination of so many factors. And when you lack those very basic building blocks that most of us take for granted, that you're already at such a disadvantage and at such a risk of, of not being happy, not reaching that emotional well-being potential, that even if those things come one by one after that, you're in such a, such a reverse position that it makes it that much harder for people to access the same happiness and really, really rebuild their lives. Yeah, 
and 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 when we're talking about um you 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 mention you know crises like ISIS and parts of the world that are really challenged by war and violence that much of the western world has never seen firsthand i think that part of the education is making us understand just how dire the circumstances are exactly and i mean forces like isis really combat and and prey upon um people that that don't have hope that don't have um you know schools and that don't have the other aspects of life to to really build their motivation and everyone needs a sense of purpose if you if you take that away from from children that have the chance to grasp the difference between right and wrong you leave them vulnerable to those external forces that will really create a negative purpose for them indeed and and <clears throat> helping our youth the people that are are going to reach out and who have already joined global citizen giving them a sense of purpose, inspiring them to go out and do good and create good in the world is what we're talking about from this end. And what the byproduct or result of that investment of of time and energy and social capital, if you will, is that it touches a life on the other side of the world and, and gives hope, gives resources to them that from which they can grow, expand, and find some level of, of happiness or new normal after a crisis. Exactly. I mean, our campaign is called Books Build Lives because it, it's all about how, how you can help the, the children on the other side of the world rebuild, rebuild their lives and how it's so easy for any of us to do that. I mean, we've had people from Antarctica take the action on this through our platform. So it's really about... How, how as citizens we recognize that every issue really is all of our responsibility. And I think in doing that, those acts of kindness, those actions, um, volunteering your time and your action, your voice, really gives people on this side of the world as well a sense of purpose and a sense of self-worth, which are really important for our own mental health and feeling of impact in the world. Indeed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Indeed. And and the, the idea that when we are involved with initiatives such as these, we are activating parts of our own emotional inner life, you know, the, the compassion, the empathy, the kindness, the unconditional positive regard for another human being, seeing that one person can make a difference, albeit slowly, but that our voices do matter. You know, I think that this is really important in teaching young people today to use your voice in a constructive way. Use Twitter in a constructive way. Use the Internet. Use social media in a way to um, stand up and be heard positively. I completely agree. And I think you've touched on a really important point around technology and, and what people flag as the dangers of technology and things like cyberbullying. This is such a different um, way to use social media, such a way to actually encourage that group mentality. We ask people to encourage their friends to take action as well, sort of form action teams around an issue and to use their voice to spur on additional acts of kindness and acts of action and generosity for other global citizens. That we, we think that's a really clever and, and, and novel way to use social media, and it really is a way it should be used. It's, it's such an important tool for us these days. And as parents, and during the break, you spoke with me about how some of your demographic is comprised of young moms 
you know, that these are uh, women in starting out their careers as mothers, that, that aspect of their inner life and how they can instill these qualities in their children, just raising conscious, aware, awake individuals that will change the world long after we're gone, you know? I agree. And I mean, these are, these are the mothers and the fathers that are, that are lead, you know, raising the leaders of tomorrow. So it's really important that when they think about how they wanted to do that, they think about the kinds of kids they want their kids to be. And they think about the kids that don't have that right now as well. And so we find that the, the actions that they take, that they're actually one of our highest youth demographics, um, are really central to the core values that they believe in. And, and really that reflects on the world that they want to see and want their children to grow up in. So, if, if a mom or dad is listening, and uh, I'm hoping that people are sitting around their dinner tables regularly because we know that that helps create happy families and, and happy individuals, you know, the conversation, uh, instead of fighting about social media, might be how social media can be used responsibly, which we spoke of a few minutes ago, to raise awareness and, and get our children to see that they can still use the devices, still use the technology, but how they might re rework their views on social medias. And this is where the conversation can change. You know, it can actually change their lives and, and impact the life of another. And I may be being completely convoluted in the way I've just approached that statement, but I, I, I'm imagining the conversation at a lot of dinner tables is put the phone away. You know, that's how it starts. Right. You're, sit, you're sitting down to right. dinner, yeah. but maybe, maybe there's a challenge to do something positive. There's absolutely a challenge and to do something positive together because collective voices are even stronger. And, and if one person in the family is doing it, that can encourage everyone else that has, has a phone and has a social media account to do the same thing. And I think to your point around, you know, the, the abilities through social media and kind of destigmatizing the negative effects um, is that this is such a positive social tool that we have some of our highest, you know, highest worth and highest um, followed celebrities also participating in our actions. We just, in terms of the action about education and emergencies, we just had a video play when this fund for education and emergencies, Education Cannot Wait, was launched in Istanbul that Salma Hayek spoke on and, you know, spoke on for us. We put together this video with um, Chimes for Change, her organization about that. And it was, it was so impactful to see someone of that level stand with 40,000 young global citizens and, and raise her call to action around this through her media channels as well. So how does this work for the celebrities? The celebrity will align with your organization and then go out and support an initiative that resonates for him or her? Yes, so we give celebrities that opportunity. We, we, don't, we don't pressure them to do it as well. We actually have celebrities that approach us and say, I'm interested in this issue. Are, are you doing something about it? And, and how can I help amplify that? Which is amazing to see that they're using their voice and their social media following for the same good that we're trying to achieve. And, and we will facilitate that at every step. We also then bring them together at our Global Citizen Festival and have celebrities stand alongside world leaders and have a conversation with them face-to-face about the issues that matter to them. And we find that resonates for both sides of the conversation, and it resonates for all the global citizens that follow 
that conversation. Indeed. Uh, and we spoke of ending um, poverty as being a, a, a huge goal. What about climate change and reduction of inequality? I mean, these are two other huge issues. Absolutely. I mean, climate change, I think, is, is central and is part of the sustainable development goals, which a lot of our campaigning is now, is now pitched towards. By 2030, there's targets around climate change, there's targets around education, food and hunger, girls and women that, that have really put on the agenda that it's non-negotiable that all of these issues need to be dealt with in order to ex- end extreme poverty and in order to create the better world that we all want to live in. In terms mm. of our own campaigning, we've only, we've only recently started to campaign on the issue of climate change, but it's something that's integral to, as a sustainable development goal for us all to meet. In terms of equality, inequalities, I mean, really, we have a whole section of campaigning around girls and women in particular, which is a huge amount of inequality, and, um, and that crosses over onto so many issues. But we're actually, we've launched a campaign called Level the Law re- recently, which is all about um, addressing legal discrimination against women in laws in countries around the world. And, you know, it was when we first looked at it, something like 90% of all countries had at least one law that discriminated between men and women. So inequality is central to ending extreme poverty. All of those things work in concert. When we, when we move the needle on each of these issues, we actually shifted on seven others because there's a mm. flow-on and ripple effect. Yes, the ripple effect. And and this is the beauty of the work that globalcitizen.org is doing. We are out of time, but I want to thank Madge Thomas, my guest. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, and to amplify your thank voice you. for social good, please head on over to www.globalcitizen.org. On Facebook, the page is Global Citizen, but it's spelled in a unique way, and that's G-L-B-L-C-T-Z-N. On Twitter, the handle is Global Citizen, also spelled in that unique way, G-L-B-L-C-T-Z-N. Mads, thanks again for joining us, and thank you for the great work that you and your team and the world of global citizens are doing to affect change in our world that is so desperately needed. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation. Here come the tunes, and uh, here off we go. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook. Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.